We live in a day where the minister is expected to be a comedian, uh, where the minister is expected to entertain the people of God. We live in a day when the minister is expected to be a superstar and an idol and to be well-known and published. We live in a day where people are sitting in churches demanding that the minister tell them what they want to hear. And that's true in this country, as you have told me, and that's true in America, and that's true in the world. In fact, that's been the desire of people sitting in churches from the beginning, when Paul said men having itching ears will seek teachers to suit their own passions and to hear what they want to say. And today we are about to set free, to let loose, to ordain three brothers to the ministry to teach and proclaim the word of God and to shepherd God's people. And I'm here today to pop any bubble that might be floating out there that uh, we want you guys to make sure you never offend anybody, to make sure you're just scratching people's backs and telling them what they want to say. I'm going to tell you what God says because I'm going to give you God's word today. And the reality is, for any leader of the church, any minister, blood is on your hands. So I'm going to be laying hands on you guys in a little bit, and there's going to be a transfer of blood responsibility that's going to be put on your shoulders. And there's a lot of blood on a lot of ministers' hands that they haven't gotten off. What I want to talk about tonight from the Word of God is how do you cleanse your hands of that blood? There's only one way to do it, and Paul tells us about it in this passage. We come to a very important part of the book of Acts. Paul has been suffering and laboring for two and a half years in Ephesus. Now he's feeling the Spirit move him to return to Jerusalem and then to Rome. He doesn't quite know what's going to happen, but in every place the Spirit is telling him that suffering and persecution awaits him. And in fact, that was Paul's experience laboring in Ephesus as well. Ephesus is a city at that time not much bigger than the Stavanger area. 250,000, I think the larger Stavanger is around 300,000. So imagine Paul ministering in Stavanger for two and a half years. The way he leaves Ephesus is there is a massive riot because the gold, the silversmiths were angry because Paul was hurting their business. You see, Paul was saying that their gods are no gods at all. And so their pocketbooks were suffering. The businessmen were not making the profits they were making before. In fact, at one point, a bunch of men convert to the gospel and they burn all of their magic books. Ephesus was was the city of Artemis. It was the the place where they worshipped Artemis. 
And you can make a lot of money as a silversmith building little shrines so that when people come on vacation to worship Artemis, they can go home and take that and continue to worship. And all of a sudden, people aren't doing it anymore. Their message was affecting the whole city. And so they rioted. And they actually, they grabbed some of Paul's co-workers and brought, and they knew, who knew what was going to happen to them? Okay? I don't know if Stavanger will ever, will ever riot against us or Ulan will ever riot against us, but who knows? If you stand true to the word of God, it might happen. However big or however small it might be. But Paul knew there was blood on his hands and he knew that there was only one way to wash that off of his hands. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. What is that way? We're going to look at two things specifically. We're first going to look, how do you cleanse yourself of the blood guilt that's on your hands as ministers? And then secondly, what are the essential character marks that undergird that thing that you do to cleanse your hands from that ministry? Okay. So what is it to rid yourself of that guilt, brothers? And how should you go about doing it in your character and demeanor in ministry? That's what we will look at tonight in brief. So first of all, how do you get the blood off of your hands, Hovar and Tomas and Peter and congregation who will be sitting under them? What are you going to expect of these brothers as you should expect of me as well? How do you get the blood off your hands? And the first point is, the way you do it is that you must declare the whole counsel of God. You must declare the whole counsel of God. So what does that mean? First of all, we see in verse 27, where Paul says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. When Paul talks about declaring the whole counsel of God, he means that he shared everything that God's word reveals in terms of its summary theological teaching. You read Romans, which I know you guys are going to start a series in Romans. Paul lays it all out there, all the theology. You read uh, his letter to the church in Ephesus. You get the whole layout of God's plan for the fullness of time in summary form in one letter. Paul was duty-bound to teach and preach everything that God revealed. Everything in Scripture matters. And where did Paul get this idea from? Uh, you can turn there or you can, uh, you can write the reference down. But in Ezekiel 33, Paul, I mean, not Paul, the Lord gives Ezekiel a solemn charge. And I want to read that to you. It's a very famous 
passage and one that should give, make ministers shudder a little bit. The Lord made Ezekiel the watchman of Israel. The guy who stands on the city, on top of the city walls and watches out for danger. And the Lord tells Ezekiel, you will be my watchman. And in Ezekiel 33, we read, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land, and blows the trumpet and warns the people, Then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, the blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity but you will have delivered your soul. So do you see the image here that the Lord paints to Ezekiel? It's one of the, the, the city appoints a watchman to watch out for the coming danger. And it, that watchman sees the danger coming. He blows the trumpet. He says they're coming. And somebody chooses to ignore it. That person's going to die for ignoring it, but the watchman will be innocent. But if the watchman falls asleep, or through whatever means he's negligent, sees the army coming and doesn't do anything, all the people are going to die. But the guilt will be on the watchman. And Paul takes that idea and places it right at the heart of his ministry and the ministry that he's now handing off to these Ephesian elders. God has revealed his will in his word. He's revealed his warnings about sin, about judgment, about hell and damnation. He's revealed his moral will. He's revealed the way of salvation. And the elder's job is to proclaim that. And to guard sound doctrine and to teach that and to teach all of it. Not just the parts he wants to teach. Not just the parts that the city still wants to hear. You have to preach all of it. And if you do that, you're innocent. The people, congregation, you can believe these guys or not. 
You know, no preacher's perfect, of course, and you should be asking everyone to hold fast to the word and give me the word. That's what you should be saying every week. Preacher, give me the word. I don't want to hear your hobby horses. I want to hear the word. But if you choose to ignore it, you'll die in your sins. But these brothers will be innocent. But if they fail at their duty, you'll die in your sins. But they'll be accountable before God. So the way to become innocent of the blood of all is to preach the whole counsel of God. But there's two focuses or two foci to teaching the whole counsel of God. There's a hermeneutic uh, that holds it all together, which Paul also demonstrates here in this section, in this speech, this farewell speech to the elders. In verse 26, he talks about in passing, uh, excuse me, verse 25, he talks about in passing when he says, Now I behold... I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. What every preacher and every elder should be doing is proclaiming the kingdom of God. Because when you preach the word of God in this world, you are proclaiming the kingdom. Because there is a king and there is a law of the king that must be followed, whether people want it or not. And that's what preaching the kingdom of God is about. You are in the business of preaching and God is in the business of transferring people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And when we come under that kingship, there is freedom and liberation through the gospel, but there's also a call to follow Jesus and a call to obedience. And that's what Paul taught in his letters. Finally, at the heart of all of the whole counsel of God is the gospel. The gospel. The gospel that was first preached in Genesis 3.15 when God told Adam that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. The gospel, as Paul says, the gospel was proclaimed beforehand to Abraham. In Genesis 12, saying that in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. And it's the gospel that in the Lord's good time came to us when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory full of grace and truth. And at the heart of that gospel is the call to repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says in verse 21. He gave his whole life, day and night, in public and in private, to testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're not to stand up here, brothers, to preach about your best life now. Or to preach God just loves you the way you are. You're to preach this room's filled with sinners. And this pulpit's filled with a big old sinner. So we must repent. And continue to repent. And keep our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as our only means of salvation and hope against a holy God. 
So that's your duty, brothers. That's your duty that you're being given today. It's to be men who teach the word of God, to use Paul's words in Titus, and to rebuke those who contradict it. To teach sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. To encourage everyone here in the repentance and faith that pleases God. To follow after him. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. To follow his law, not to earn salvation, but out of thankfulness for what he has done for you. That is your duty, brothers. Not many people and not many pastors think that they have blood on their hands today. That just sounds kind of like not very nice. You know, and we like nice things today in the church. And we like comfortable things. But there's blood on your hands. And I want you to be able to wash it off. In congregation, I expect you to hold these brothers to that task. And to not make their life miserable by saying, I don't want to hear that. Uh-uh. That's not nice. That, you know, when you said that, that offended me. You know, these brothers are not perfect. You know, we all strive to, we all strive to get the word of God right. We strive to preach faithfully. We don't always do it perfectly. But I want you to encourage these brothers and say, give me the word. Don't hold back. Give me the word. And when they come under fire for being faithful, I want you to stand at their side and support them in the suffering that God has called them to. Because you know what they're going to preach is going to make a lot of people around you mad. In the church and out of the church, it's your duty to stand by and support these brothers and help them fulfill Paul's exhortation to all elders everywhere in these words that he gives to the Ephesians. So brothers, declare the whole counsel of God. But that's not enough. I kind of think about you guys like a ring with a nice diamond on it. Okay? Uh, think, of, think of a ring. You have this beautiful diamond or gem and that's the whole counsel of God. But for that that gem to shine brightly, it has to be set in a beautiful setting. It has to be set in a, in a setting that helps to show off all of the glory of the diamond. And so Paul leaves the Ephesian elders with some really essential character marks. You need to preach the whole counsel of God, but you also need to watch the way that you do it. You know, in another passage, Paul tells Timothy to watch his life and doctrine closely. So it's not just enough to be, have a big head and to know systematic theology and be able to exegete passages faithfully and preach it. You can be a really arrogant person and do those things. So there's some really important character marks as well that I'm going to charge you brothers with. And again, congregation, I want you to support these brothers in. So what does Paul show to us here? I'm going to give you three essential marks. Look there at verse 24. The first mark is a single-minded focus on the ministry. Paul says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul did not get distracted. You know, another place he told Timothy did not get entangled in civilian pursuits. He said, be like the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Paul was single-minded. He didn't get distracted with other pursuits. He stayed singular in his focus and his purpose in life to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he would always preach the Jews first. They'd kick him out. Then he'd go to the Gentiles. That is why he existed. So you guys are not being initiated now into some kind of club. That's like a side hobby to the other things you do. You are making a commitment to make this the focus of your lives, to be shepherds of the flock of God. This is a call to be single-minded in your focus. Now, Paul wasn't married. There's debates about whether he was. And of course, you guys are, uh, two of you are married. Uh, the other, I think you want to be married at some point. Um, you know, this is not saying you can't have a family. This is not saying you shouldn't care for your family. Um, uh, and it's not saying never take a vacation. But it's saying make everything that you do be centered around your call to the ministry. Okay? A second character mark that is essential as the setting for the jewel of the whole Council of God ministry is a willingness to suffer. You must be willing to suffer. In verse 19, Paul describes his ministry as serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. So he summed up his ministry. Humility with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul was most likely a Pharisee himself. And then he walked away. Paul was a murderer of Christians. And the Lord saved him and called him to a new ministry. And his old buddies didn't like that. They hated him for it. You know? You guys are bringing an expression of the faith and of the gospel that is new to Norway. And some of you are coming out of churches and they might hate you for it and say bad things. And you're a small town, so rumors will spread pretty quick, I would imagine, here. But are you willing to suffer for the glory of Christ and congregation? Are you willing to support these brothers? You might, you might get brought along in the ridicule. Are you ready for it? The ministry is a ministry of suffering. And in fact, a lot of your words that you're going to say to this congregation will be proven genuine or disingenuine by how you respond when the day of trial comes. So know that you are being called to a life of suffering and your willingness to suffer is essential. Paul 
continues in verse 22 and 23 when he says, And now, behold, I know I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. There's a lot of things we can say that, the, that this country doesn't like, that the Western countries don't like. And at some point, you might go to prison for it. Who knows? But are you willing to suffer, brothers? Thirdly, you are called to be shepherds. You're not called to be rock stars. You're not called to be idols. You know, I'm very thankful for the podcast ministry that you brothers have, and I pray for its success. But you're not, you're not called to be well-known around the world for what you say or teach. You're called to shepherd these people you see around you because they're the flock of God. And they were purchased with Jesus' own blood. That's your primary focus, is the people that the Lord brings to you. And when we think about shepherding, we think first of all about care. About care. And Paul tells the elders in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So you guys aren't just to be theological wizards who know a lot of things and don't really care about anything else, just sitting in your study all day reading books. It's important to study, but you need to care about the people that God's given to you. And the reason why, one of the main reasons why you need to give yourself to care is because there are wolves that want to eat your sheep. There's wolves that want to eat your sheep. Maybe here foxes, uh, whatever the predator is. They, they want to devour you and they want to devour your people. And that's why the Holy Spirit appoints overseers of churches as to get between the wolf and the sheep and to stop that wolf from devouring the sheep. And that's a dangerous job. And you might get bitten, but that's your duty to protect the flock that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Paul says in verse 29, I know that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. So not only are wolves going to come from without, but God forbid, even within. There may be someone in your church that rises up teaching twisted things. And this was very true. In in the days after Paul, in the days after John, when the apostles died off, Ephesians, the, the church in Ephesus, And the churches in Asia Minor were deeply embattled in theological schism 
And a doctrine called Gnosticism was spreading. And these very churches, and this very church that Paul is charging is going to, in a matter of decades, face such trials. And so you're starting a new church, and the, from day one when you start the church, it's going to want to start going liberal. And we're also starting a new denomination here. Den Presbyterianska Church in Norge. As soon as we establish it, it's going to want to start going liberal. And so our duty is to just continue to stand and hold it upright. And our duty is to get in the way and in the pathway of wolves. And you're going to be maligned for it. You're going to have sleepless nights, stressful days. And are you willing to take that on, brothers? One last point on shepherding. It's really hard work. It's really hard work. So are you committed to working hard? Paul says in verse 33, he said, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I have shown that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul was a hard worker. Though he had the right to be supported for his work, he gave up that right for his own calling as an apostle so that he couldn't be accused of manipulating the gospel, which was the charge uh, often given. And he was a tent maker. He had his own job, and he not only supported himself, but he has supported the brothers who are with him. And a regular minister has the, the right to be supported by the congregation. You know, Paul says, uh, do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain and the, the worker deserves his wages. And I want to encourage you as a congregation to as best as you can support these brothers financially in their work because you will be blessed when you have men who can give their whole attention to the ministry. And Norway will be blessed for it. But at the same time, brothers, you don't get in the ministry to get rich. Prosperity gospel preachers do, but you don't. Faithful ministers, so don't be covetous. Do your best to support yourselves and the brethren. And congregation, I'd encourage you to join in, to give what you have for the glory of the gospel in this ministry. But hard work And remember this, brothers, and this is what Paul ends with, of all things. The words of our Lord, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Your reward, brothers, comes in heaven. You'll have have little moments of encouragement along the way. And congregation, encourage these guys. Encourage these guys. Not only is preaching hard work, it's a, it's a labor of its own preparing, but these guys are doing it on top of their regular jobs. And I know these brothers, and they are hard workers, so remember to encourage them. And tell them thank you. But brothers, 
Remember for you, you're going to be doing a lot more giving than receiving in this earthly life of yours and in this call to ministry. Your reward will come in heaven. But in the meantime, remember, you will be more blessed if you focus on giving and what you can give to the congregation than what the congregation can do for you. So this is your ministry, brothers. Preach the whole counsel of God. But you're really going to tarnish the diamond if you live poorly. So follow Paul's example to be single-minded in your focus, willing to suffer, and give your lives to shepherding the flock. Having said that, I will close this message then with the commendation that Paul gives to the Ephesian elders in verse 32. Brothers, I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen.